This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morning. Everybody, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Let's start with a little reality. I know we like to deal with fiction. We like to have fun. We like to explore the unexplained. But let's deal with a little reality that I have heard almost no one else mention, with the notable exception of Nicole Galinas, who writes for City Journal, who works for the Manhattan Institute. She's written about this. Let's start with a few realities. One, school enrollment in New York City is plummeting. It's down 8.3%. Now, even with school uh, enrollment plummeting, and there's a variety of reasons for that. A lot of people didn't want to deal with all the COVID restrictions, and they uh, moved their children to Catholic school or to private school or to homeschool. A lot of folks moved away, and there's a variety of other factors, and we could do a whole show on why school enrollment has plummeted. And about a month ago, the New York City Council and the mayor voted to make a teeny little bit of cut to the school budget. Out of a $31 billion budget, they voted to cut, because of the plummeting enrollment, $215 million. That is seven-tenths of one percent. They didn't say, all right, we need an 8.3% budget cut since we have an 8.3% school population that's down. They said just seven-tenths of one percent. Forty-four out of 51 council members voted for this. Those council members had all the information available to them, all the facts and figures. They knew exactly what was going to happen. But what has happened since this budget was passed is the teachers union has created this outrage about how schools are being gutted, which they're not. They started staging protests and launching websites and everything like that. And so now a whole bunch of politicians who voted for this very budget, including the speaker of the city council, are trying to say, we didn't know what we were voting on. We need to restore these cuts and believe it or not there's actually a group of parents really put up to it by the teachers union that has gone to court to restore this funding saying that they didn't get proper permission from some panel in Albany in accordance with the law. Now think about the precedent that this is setting for the future. What they're really saying is that New York City can never cut its school budget, no matter the dire fiscal straits that we're in, including the plummeting school enrollment, unless we get some approval from this bizarre Committee for Educational Policy, which barely exists and nobody even knows about. Think about that. Our politicians in New York City, the mayor and the city council, are abdicating one of the few responsibilities they actually have to make and pass a budget. This is bizarre, and it sets a very poor precedent for future budgets. These politicians that are going weak at the knees as soon as the UFT tells them to, in my view, are the worst type of elected officials. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morning. 
everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'm sorry to make this such a dense show in terms of uh, New York City public policy discussion because I realize we have listeners all over the country and all over the region that may not care about what's happening in New York City. But the bottom line is what happens in New York City affects the whole country. I have been critical of Mayor Eric Adams in several different areas, but there's one area I really have to give him credit for, and that's finding a way of blaming everything that's wrong in New York City on everybody else. He has no problem blaming his predecessor, no problem blaming the state, no problem blaming the federal government. We saw this on display last week when Mayor Adams called for federal assistance to help with what he said was a flood of 2,800 asylum seekers who were making it difficult for New York City to fulfill its legal obligation to provide housing to those in need. He said that the influx was partly caused by migrant families arriving on buses sent by Texas and Arizona governments. Now, so far, the governors of Texas and Arizona dispute that. They said that's simply not true. Now, who do you believe? Do you believe the governors of Texas and Arizona, or do you believe Eric Adams? Well, we've seen the difficulty that uh, Eric Adams has with the truth, and I'm skeptical of his version, to be honest. The governors of those states have said they've sent migrants on a voluntary basis to Washington, D.C., and none to New York City. So why would they not just admit that they're also sending some to New York if that's what they're doing? But there is a bigger problem when it comes to Mayor Eric Adams and what he's saying about his administration's failure to tackle the homeless situation. I mean, not only the streeted homeless situation, but the homeless that are in shelters. The New York Daily News this weekend was right on the money. On Tuesday, Adams made a request for help with more than 2,800 asylum seekers. Later that same day, he said that close to 2,500 migrants had found their way to the shelters. Now, that's a rather significant swing in the space of a day when calling on Washington for aid. And as the Daily News says, this lack of clarity extends to other homeless data. The mayor says he's privy to specific, granular, routinely updated data of the number of people who've accepted services after sweeps of subways and above-ground encampments. But the public gets only occasional top-line citywide numbers presented with no context or breakdown. We should see it all just as we do crime data. This is exactly right. Where are the numbers, Mr. Mayor? Why are you telling a version of the story that the governors of the states that you claim are sending these migrants here are disputing? And let us see the numbers. The Daily News, as much as I might differ with their editorial board from time to time, they're 100% right. You can't go from 2,800 to 2,500 while you're begging the federal government for aid. Let us see the numbers, Mr. Mayor. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. We are just a few days away from WABC Day at the Staten Island Ferryhawks game on Saturday. I said, I've been saying all week that we're playing the Lancaster Barnstormers. Apparently... I have been pronouncing it incorrectly, as has everybody else on the station. Evidently, they're the Lancaster Barnstormers, which I didn't know. But uh, I will make an effort to say Lancaster going forward. Before the game on Saturday, 
at 4 o'clock, we're going to have an exhibition game where the WABC on-air talent takes on the NYPD softball team. So what we're going to do is giving you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets right now if you are the seventh caller at 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. If you're the seventh caller right now, you can not only come to the game, but you'll be entered into a competition to perhaps coach first base for our team. And believe me, against these NYPD guys who were in great shape, we need all the help in terms of coaching that we can get. I did mention also that uh, on August 12th, I'm going to be giving a uh, short little presentation out in Deer Park on Long Island. It's free to go to, and I'll answer people's questions at the event. Uh, I think it's going to be around 6-ish. But if you want to go to that, email me, and I'll send you with all the information as soon as it's available, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Speaking of email, I'll tell you one thing that I was really overwhelmed by was the correspondence that we had as it relates to a a subject that I discussed with Jeffrey Gurian yesterday. And that has to do with the Hamptons. You know, Jeffrey and I were talking about the Hamptons and the people that go there and the experiences that some people that I know have had, including people with money, by the way. One of the things that does irk me a little bit is if you're not part of the creme de la creme, if you're not part of the glitterati, there is a pretentiousness to the Hamptons. There is a little bit of the Hamptons which I think is exclusionary to average ordinary folks. You don't get that at the Jersey Shore. You do get that at the Hamptons. This fella who owns a restaurant that I had dinner in on uh, on Saturday, he was telling me how he got there and he goes to this particular restaurant all the time and then the year round, all year round, because he has a place out there. And then all of a sudden he wants to go there during the summer on a weekend and they wouldn't give him a table. For him and his wife, they gave him such a hard time. And because he wasn't one of these bold-faced names, because he's not a multi-billionaire hedge fund manager or something like, like that. I don't know if that's been your experience with the Hamptons, but that is always what makes me sort of furrow my brow whenever the opportunity to go to the Hamptons comes up. I'm not sure if that's been your experience. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it. I know a lot of people have had some great times out there, and I have too. But it is something, I don't know, something a little pretentious about it. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight Local Spotlight One more hour to go We are just getting started We have a lot to get to this hour Vince McMahon, Paul Servino, and more Uh, Last hour, I talked about how I do think that the Hamptons is beautiful and great and has a lot of great restaurants, but it's a little too pretentious to me, and that's where I I have always preferred the Jersey Shore. There are a lot of great Jersey Shore communities that I enjoy. Atlantic City is right up there. Long Beach Island is a lot of fun. Places like Monmouth Beach are great. But every summer, my wife and I love to go to Cape May, New Jersey. It's one of our favorite places to go on vacation. And we're going to be there for the first week in August. Now, I have done almost all the things that are written about in tour books that you should do in Cape May. I visited the World War II Lookout Tower. I visited a lot of the great museums. Not the Harriet Tubman Museum, which is new, and I'm looking forward to going there. I visited um, the uh, the Lighthouse. Uh, the, uh, the Lighthouse. That was a lot of fun. I've been to a lot of great restaurants from uh, 410 Bank Street to... The Lobster House to Uncle Bill's Pancake House. You name it. I've tried every ice cream parlor in Cape May. Certainly we've gone to the beach. We've taken the ferry. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because I know a lot of you go to Cape May. 
And you may have some interesting insight about something to do in Cape May that I'm not aware of. So if you have a suggestion for something that I should check out in Cape May that you can't just look up under the subject on Google, things to do in Cape May, I would love to hear your suggestions. And it could be all of Cape May County. It could include Wildwood, Wildwood Crest, North Cape May, whatever the case may be. It doesn't have to be Cape May proper. Like, I like Cape May proper. I would love to do that. But if it's outside of the, uh, the city itself, I'd still love to hear your suggestions. So please email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I'm also looking forward to meeting a whole bunch of you on Saturday at uh, WABC night at the Ferry Hawks game as they take on the Lancaster Barnstormers. In fact, what we're going to do right now is we're going to give away a pair of tickets to the seventh caller right now who calls 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And if you're the seventh caller... Not only will you get a pair of tickets to the game, which includes fireworks after the game and seeing us before the game play the NYPD softball game, but you'll also be entered into a a drawing to possibly coach first base for our softball team. And we certainly need all the help we can get. So you want to be the seventh caller now? Go ahead and call 800-848-9222. If you have any great Cape May suggestions, please email me privately, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. To be continued. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.